So if you could make your way to your seats, that would be wonderful. Thanks so much. We also, there are some great seats up front for any of you lingerers in the back. Um, no need to have the cheap seats. We have the good ones available. So come on up. All right. So quick poll. Who likes announcements? All right. Well, <laughs> thank you. You know, I appreciate that. Um, Sunday morning does not have to be the only time you get Malibu Gathering announcements, though. If you go onto the Internet, um, to Facebook, and like Malibu the Gathering, you can get uh, announcements and uh, articles and encouragement throughout the week. So uh, if that's something you'd like to do, go ahead and do that, and um, we'll kind of get you on the newsletter. Um, one really important announcement is that we have home groups starting this week. So Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week, um, they're going to be home groups. I'm going to pass the sign-up around, and please make sure to keep passing it. And um, if you've already signed up, maybe just throw your name down on there again. Make sure that you're in the system and you're going to get an email letting you know where to go. So I'm going to start this off and make sure you guys are passing it. Thank you. We also have a ministry opportunity and a guest announcement to talk about that. So if Shelby the Rock Smith could come up, that would be great. Hi, um, my name is Shelby. Um, I'm a senior at Pepperdine. And I just wanted to share with you guys an awesome opportunity that we all have um, just to be leaders in this church and to be uh, mentors and role models to some um, friendly kids that we have, um, and the age group that um, we're targeting is middle schoolers, so we're looking like, um, we're going a little younger for middle school, we're saying like 12 to like 14, I think, and so we just need um, some Pepperdine students to uh, volunteer and just share their love and their energy um, with these kids so that we can um, just kind of develop a program for them where they're um, receiving the love of Christ just as we all are and as the young kids are and the little little ones are. So we just don't want to leave anyone out um, from our ministry here. And so last year I had a wonderful opportunity of just helping lead maybe once a month. And so that's what we're searching for, for some students who are willing to give up one Sunday a month, hopefully pairs of a guy and a girl who are willing to just um, work with a curriculum that we already have and maybe play some fun, like, young lifestyle games just to get them out of their shells a little bit. Um, and so I am here as a resource for you. And so um, we are just going to send around a little sign-up sheet for that too. And if you are interested, um, please stick around after church, and we're going to probably meet up here in the front. And so I really encourage you guys to just think about um, how you're giving back at this church and this community that has just given us so much as Pepperdine students. And this is just one way that um, we can just show these kids um, in such a hard age the love of Christ and just share the gospel with them through um, the ways that we serve and we love and teach them. Really, they just need teaching and prayer and they're so awesome. We uh, Adam and I used to teach them together last year, and they would ask, like, the best questions, and sometimes they, we would just talk about things, like, we didn't even know where it was going, so it's, it's a funny, good time, and um, yeah, they just need love and mentors, and so I just encourage you guys and challenge you guys 
um, to stick around after church and just see me about that, and I'll just encourage you and just be a resource for you. So um, thank you for listening, and yeah, just excited to meet with you afterwards. Thanks, Shelby. Appreciate that. Um, it's a really cool way to get plugged in. Where is that home group sign up? Awesome. Let's keep that moving. <laughs> um, okay. Um, besides home groups, uh, another thing we're starting up this semester is um, a group for married couples or engaged couples. And that's going to be one Sunday evening a month. Um, getting together to uh, pray for our marriages, to, uh, to talk about marriage, and um, understand and apply God's desire for our marriage. Uh, so there's a sign-up sheet in the back for that as well. I've talked about this a couple Sundays, but if that's something any of you are interested in, please sign up for that as well. Um, also, the much-anticipated men's retreat is October 18th and 20th at Halama Beach. Um, in Santa Barbara. Um, if you're interested in that, it's $20 to reserve your spot, and there's a sign-up sheet for that as well in the back. It's for all the men. It's going to be great. Um, one more thing, the final announcement, is we're thinking about starting doing basketball open gyms uh, Sunday evenings at Malibu High. Uh, so if there's anyone who's interested in that, maybe even helping to coordinate or plan what that's going to look like, um, go ahead and talk to either Brian or myself, and uh, we'll plug you into the planning committee um, and uh, make sure that's done right. Um, that's, that's all we have um, for announcements. And so if you could please find in your Bible John chapter 3 or look on the back of your bulletins and read along with me. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, 
How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, we love you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the wisdom that's available in it. Thank you for coming to earth, and I thank you for saving us. I thank you for your spirit, and I pray that your spirit would come down and enter this place. Please make us wise and make us humble. Bless Brian as he speaks, and uh, soften our hearts, Lord, to your word and to your truth, so that we can understand everything that you would bless us with, all the words and the teaching, and uh, help us to live our lives accordingly in a renewed way. Jesus, we pray all these things in your precious name. Amen. Good morning, everyone. We are continuing our study in the Gospel of John this morning. We, um, we started last Sunday uh, a series called Come and See. And we will continue that this morning. <clears throat> we are going to look at maybe the most comprehensive, the most complete chapter in the New Testament that talks about what it means to be a Christian, but also maybe some of the most controversial words, some of the most confused words um, that we find that Jesus speaks when he uses the words born again. And when we think about that, phrase, um, probably lots of different opinions about what that means and what that brings to your attention. For the average person in Malibu, it might bring to mind a fringe Christian, nutty Christian, um, someone who's gone through a traumatic experience and they've had a born-again experience. It might bring up a political agenda, that born-again Christians have a political agenda. The average person in Malibu maybe could just even really care less of what that word means or that phrase means. It was, <clears throat> it was made significantly more popular in the early 1970s before most of our church was born or probably even thought about, but some of you remember the early 1970s. I was too young to recall, but President Nixon was president. It was a low point politically in our nation's history. There were accusations of corruption within the presidency, within his team of leaders. And maybe the most famous was a man called Chuck Colson. His nickname was the Hatchet Man for President Nixon. He actually was indicted and went to jail for, um, for basically lying for obstruction of justice. That during his time in jail, he became a Christian and wrote a famous book called Born Again. And it really repopularized that term. And I bring that up knowing that most of you don't know who that man is. But if you don't know who that man is, I bring him up to draw your attention to him <clears throat> because of how God changed his life. 
on the fast track, young, intelligent, savvy, well-connected man on the fast track in the political world, um, due to his own sinful nature, chose to do some unethical, illegal things that in, uh, caused him to end up in jail. But he had a, a real-life conversion experience in jail and then started a ministry called Prison Fellowship and committed the rest of his life to working with uh, people in prison. Check out his, his life story. He died recently, but a, a brilliant Christian thinker, and so I encourage you to look at his life. Yesterday I did a Google News search, which I often do, of Born Again, and there, are, uh, there is a wide range of what it means to be born again or how that phrase is used. It was used in reference to a soccer team in France who advance up to an elite level, their team had been born again. It's used in athletics. It was used in reference to President Obama. One news story said this, Obama's born again missile envy over Syria, wrong on all accounts. The phrase born again is used in geopolitical context. It's also used in the context of a New York Times op-ed of a Civil War general who found himself again. The story was called Born Again in Mississippi. A Civil War general finds himself again. It was used in reference to a pastor called Born Again to be Wild. The pastor starts a new ministry riding his Harley Davidson motorcycle. It was also used as a group of Christians. Another headline was Born Again Christians support the move to suspend Congress. Athletic teams, political agendas, a transformational event in someone's life, born again is probably a phrase that as brings up so much different um, opinions and mindsets. And I know even for some of you that that, that that word, that phrase, to be born again, brings up some dislike. And so what we've decided to do, what we've said is, we are not going to look at the sports page to see what it means to be born again. We're not going to look at the New York Times op-ed. We're not going to focus on the news. We're going to look, we're going to come and see and look at why Jesus uses these words. And so this morning, John chapter 3, as I said, is the most complete passage, the most complete chapter in the New Testament that tells us what this means. In one sentence, John chapter 3 can be summarized like this. Jesus did not come to reform parts of your life, but to transform all of who you are from the inside out. Jesus did not come to reform certain areas of your life, but to transform all of who you are from the inside out. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to apply three simple questions of what this phrase, born again, means. All right, so number one question, what does it mean? Number two, why do we need it? And number three, how do we get it? What does it mean? Why do we need it? And how do we get it? So, John chapter 3, verse 1, begins with this man named Nicodemus. He is a scholar. He he is so well-educated 
that what I'm going to tell you, some of you probably won't even believe me. The elite religious scholars during this time would memorize the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, plus other large, significant parts of the Old Testament, plus other commentary on the Old Testament, memorized word for word. There were no flash drives. There was no cloud. There was no people. It was an oral tradition. People would memorize massive amounts of information. This man, Nicodemus, was an elite level scholar, the highest level. It says he is a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews. And so it is this man. He is an educated, highly moral, highly respected man in his community. And it says that he came to Jesus. Verse 2 says, this man, Nicodemus, came to Jesus by night. And one of the things you have to learn, here's the beautiful thing. If you enjoy reading, if you enjoy different literary styles, one of the things that's really neat about John is John often has a double meaning to words. And so here's what John is saying. When, you, when the word night or darkness is used, it's not just saying that Nicodemus came to Jesus after the sun had gone down. He's saying that there's something about Nicodemus that's missing, that there is a spiritual darkness in his life. We won't turn this morning, but John chapter 9, verse 4, John chapter 11, verse 10, John 13, 30, talks about Judas doing things in the darkness. And so what, here's what Jesus is saying, or what, excuse me, what John is saying when he's writing this account. Here is a man, a religious scholar, a moral man, a sincere man, but something is missing in his life. Something is missing in his life. He's going to shift our whole way of thinking about what it means to be in a relationship with God. He continues. He speaks to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. So just to continue, just some background information. Further, here's what Nicodemus says. He throws in the word we. Me and my top guys, we just want you to know. We recognize who you are giving this little attitude of authority. As a teacher at a private school, I experience this often. One parent will come to me and say, we all have decided, we all believe, as if they've asked every eighth grade parent in my school, and they are the representative of the whole school. But it, you know what it does? It puts you in a position of power. It puts you in a position of authority to say, we. Everybody here believes this way. We all believe this. We all recognize this. And so the context, the setting of the story is Nicodemus and Jesus having this conversation. The most moral, good guy, the most educated scholar has a conversation with Jesus. And so we will come and see what this conversation is about. It begins with the concept of being born again. So what does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to be transformed from the inside out? 
To be born again is a work of God in your life that changes you from the inside out. It is a it is God initiating change in your life. It is a new it is a new life work of God that completely transforms you from the inside out. And, and the significance of this is Nicodemus doesn't need a radical transformation. He might need a partial reformation in certain areas of his life because he is a religious person. But Jesus says to him in verse 3, verse 5, and verse 7, you must be born again. Put aside whatever political connotations, put aside whatever religious connotations might come to your mind, put aside any distraction that that phrase might bring to your mind because Jesus is the one who says, you must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus is emphatic. He's extremely clear that that's what must happen. Not minor adjustments, not slight tweaks to your personality, but a radical transformation. And Jesus uses Nicodemus as the highest level, most moral good guy to say that is not enough. It is not enough if some of you were born and raised in a Christian home. It's not enough if you've been raised in the church. It's not enough if you've been raised in a really sweet home. It's not enough if you've memorized Bible verses. It's not enough if you've gone to Awana or Young Life Camps or youth group, or Hume Lake, all these really good things. It's not enough if you tithe, or you go to home group, or you read your Bible this morning. Jesus said you must be born again. To be born again is an act of God that is an act of what theologians or scholars might call regeneration that there must be new life in your heart. Not little adjustments. I don't know if people do this anymore, but when I was a kid, one of the things that I enjoyed doing was collecting baseball cards. And one of the fun things about baseball cards was trading with your buddies. And if you were really good at it, every once in a while you'd get two cards of the same guy. And of course, if you were skillful at this, you would never tell your buddies that you have two of the same. So then you can no negotiate for the good card, while all the while secretly knowing that you have two. And so it's no big deal to get rid of that one little card to get something better. And I think what happens often in the Christian life is we are willing to give Jesus, we are willing to reform little areas of our life that we freely give to him. That we say, hey, I've got two of these. It's okay. I can give you this. It's no big sweat. It doesn't hurt. That's Nicodemus. And Jesus says it's not enough. It is a work of God. Jesus is going to make that very clear because Nicodemus is an Old Testament. He's a Bible guy. He knows the Bible very well. And so John Chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but here's what it says. It tells us that this, is, that this is a work of God. Verse 
1, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 13. Talking about those who are born of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So all people who receive God, verse 12, but, all, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But you're born of the will of God, not of your own effort. To be born again is a work of God in your life, a complete transformation in your heart. The Old, Ta- Old Testament prophet Ezekiel said this, Ezekiel chapter 36, a new heart, this is God speaking, a new heart I give to you, a new heart that God gives to you, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will take out of your flesh the heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to observe my ways. Regeneration, new spiritual life is a work of God in your heart. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has made you alive together with Christ. Not you working hard at studying the Bible. Not you having devotions. All these really good things that Christians do that we should do and are good things to do. That does not create change in your life. It is God working in your heart. If you need more, 1 Peter chapter 1 says that God, according to his abundant mercy, has given you new life. It is about God working in your life, not about you trying really hard to reform areas of your life. We all have areas of our life that we wish we could change a little bit. And Jesus says that is not enough. Verse 5 adds some clarity to this way. It says, unless one is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So if you compare, if you like to compare Bible verses, chapter 3, verse 3, and chapter 3, verse 5 are almost identical. It says this, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 5, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 3, unless one is born again, verse 5, unless one is born of the water and spirit. And so there is the difference. And here's what's interesting. Most of us, including me, when I read that, I'm always like, man, what does that mean? Born of the water and the spirit. Thankfully, Jesus is a little bit kinder to us, but Jesus chastises Nicodemus for not knowing that because he is a scholar of the Old Testament. Verses 10, 11, and 12, Jesus says to him, you should know these kinds of things. And here's what's happening. In the Old Testament, water is always, or I should say habitually, regularly, a reference to personal cleansing, that people's lives are made clean. Let me just turn, if you'd like to pay attention and write notes down, please uh, highlight this verse. We're, we're going to turn back just for a second to Ezekiel. And here's just a, a quick example of how water is used in the Old Testament. Nicodemus would know this. None of us, most of us would not. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 25 says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you, shall be, and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness and from all of your idols. I will cleanse you. And then it continues the verse that I already read. Over, and I won't 
give you examples anymore, but over and over and over and over again. Water represents being cleansed, being renewed. And spirit, that is the work of God's spirit in your life, giving you that newness of life. And so these two phrases, to be born again, it can also be translated to be born from above, parallels what John says in verse 5 when it says, you must be born of the water and spirit. In verse 3, verse 5, and verse 7, Jesus says to us, you must be born again. To be born again is a work of God in your life, transforming you from the inside out. <clears throat> Why do we need it? Jesus is equally clear on that. He says, going back up again to verse 3, unless, when you, when you read your Bible and you study your Bible, Look for words that re are repetitive. Unless, unless, unless. Unless what, Jesus? You will not see the kingdom of God in verse 3. In verse 5, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, all of these accomplishments, all of these great things you've done, you must be born again. You must have newness of life. Your religious credentials are to be admired, but you must be born again. For some of you, your religious credentials are impressive, but the question you must ask, have you been born again? Those are the words of Jesus. Disregard what anyone else tells you, Disregard whatever fringe religious association comes to your mind. Any politics. These are the words of Jesus. You need to be born again if you want to transform your life from the inside out. You need to be born again if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. In my mind, it begs the question then, does this really honestly create change in your life? Does being born again create change in your life? Jesus describes it this way. Verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Human beings produce human beings. Human beings create little sinful human beings. They grow up and they have little sinful human beings. No one teaches kids to say mine. We teach kids to share. We teach kids to tell the truth. We are natural self-preservationists. We look out for number one instinctively. That's who we are. Those born of the flesh are flesh. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. We need a work of God in our life if you want to change. So it is, uh, verse 8, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Why do we need it? Why do we need to be born of the Spirit? To be born again? To be born from above? Because it's the only way that authentic, transforming change can happen in your life. I printed, as a history teacher, one of the most interesting guys is a guy by the name of John Newton, former slave trader. Made a whole lot of money buying and selling slaves until he met Jesus one day. Became a pastor and at one point in his life wrote the quote on your bulletin. It says, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Can you say that with John Newton, the former slave trader? The man who made a lot of money selling human beings, who became radically transformed because he was born again. Why do you need to be born again? Because Jesus says, truly, truly, I say unto you. Last Sunday, uh, when we looked at John chapter <coughs> 1, it's the first time we had the truly, truly statement. And two things should always come to your mind. When Jesus says, truly, truly, he's saying as clearly as he can, I'm speaking to you with authority. I'm speaking the truth to you. I'm speaking honestly to you. All of your good things are not enough. I know some of you better than others, and I know some of you do amazingly good things, really good people, really giving people, generous people, inspiring people. But that is not enough, my friends. You must be born again. If you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a part of God's family, Jesus says you must be born again. How do we get it? Jesus says, we'll pick up in verse 9 and focus on, on verses 13 and 14. Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? This is Jesus chastising him for not understanding the need and what it means. Verse 11, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Here's Jesus in his little bit of humor, throwing down the we. So Nicodemus got his we in. Now Jesus is throwing down his we. Speaking of the Father and the Spirit. We know, so you think you know. Well, we know. We speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen. Jesus is referring to where he has been. He has been in the presence of the Father. So he has seen. He knows. But you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one, no one has ascended into heaven except Jesus. No one has ascended into heaven. He, he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Jesus referring to himself. Verse 14 explains how we get this new life, how we get this transformation, this internal transformation of what it means to follow Jesus. Verse 14 says this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus is referring here to a really interesting story back in Numbers. And we'll turn there for just for a second. So turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. The Israelites are in the wilderness trying to make their way to the promised land. It's a very short paragraph, so we'll just read it quickly. <clears throat> Numbers chapter 21, verse 4. The context is the wilderness, the Israelites. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Jesus brings this up as a parallel to how we live our lives today. Here's how it connects with us today. We try to live our lives independent of God. We try to live our lives separate from God. We don't mind little reformations. We don't mind coming to church and, and hearing a sermon and, and thinking, oh, I'm going to try to be a little bit more patient this week. I'm going to try to be a little bit more kind. I'm going to try to pick up my socks and try to be more thoughtful for my wife. Little, little mini reformations with you still at the center is never what God intended. The story of the Israelites are a group of people trying to live independent of God. God had provided for them. God had taken care of their needs. But they wanted more. They wanted something new. They wanted to do things their own way. That's who they had become. Despite this, God provides for them a way of, a way of healing. And what's very clear in the Old Testament is that if you want to, and in the New Testament, if you want to continually, perpetually play Christian, but in all honesty, live your life independent from God, 
you will put yourself under the judgment of God. I say that not in a threatening way or trying to intimidate anybody. That's not my intent at all. My intent is to speak as clearly and as straightforward as I can. The beautiful picture of our, lo our loving Savior, of who God is, though, is that he always provides a way of healing and restoration. And so, and the uniqueness of God in this kind of crazy miracle, he has Moses make this serpent and provides healing for people. A well-known story for any Jewish person and even for many Christians today. If you turn back then to John chapter 3, Jesus says this, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He is referring to himself as a man who must be lifted up on the cross. For people who want to live independent of God, he is lifted up on the cross. In the exact same way, the most violent, humiliating public death, Jesus is lifted up so that all who see him can be healed. Jesus says this, verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Last night I was uh, sitting in the backyard with the boys and Karen and we were talking about the passage and they really liked the numbers story. They liked the Old Testament version better than the New Testament version. Much more details fiery things and snakes and people dying and all kinds of really cool stuff for kids. And I asked the boys if for some reason there were thousands of snakes in our backyard, rattlesnakes everywhere, and, and, we were, and you were bit. But I said, look at our red umbrella and then you will be healed. How much faith does it take to look at the red umbrella? Not too much. Not too much. And what happens is my Christian friends and maybe seekers and skeptics, Jesus is saying, look at me. Come and see me. Stop making excuses and saying, come and see the church. Come and see born-again political Christians. Come and see fringe nutty Christians. Come and see me. This passage of Nicodemus, John chapter 3, will mean nothing to you if you are so confident in yourself, if you are so sure of yourself that you've got life figured out, that you're just great just where you are, this passage will mean nothing to you. The beauty of this passage is the most biblical literate, the most moral good man knows that he must come to Jesus. That he must come and see who he is. Why does he do this? Why must he die on the cross? Why must he be lifted up in a public humiliating way so that we can all be healed and restored? We'll conclude with the most well-known verse probably in the Bible. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I'm guessing that a large part of our church this morning is in love, or at least they want to be, or they have feelings that they are. And when you think back, if you're married, think about going back to when you first started dating your spouse. You were attracted to that person because they were, shall we say, lovely. <laughs> they were lovely. They were attractive. I hope you're still attracted to your spouse. All of us, this, is, this, this, this even moves beyond just dating relationships. We all love lovable people. Just look at our culture. If you are fit, strong, healthy, attractive, athletic, people are going to love you. If you're successful and you've got nice white teeth and you're fit and you're tan, a little bit of money, living in Malibu, hey, you're lovable. Here's the beauty of this verse. That is not the way Jesus loves the world. Jesus loves the unlovable. Jesus loves the broken people. Jesus loves, shall, if we go back to the marriage analogy, Jesus loves the spouse who wakes up with horrible breath in the morning. Jesus loves the unlovable. Jesus loves not in a self-returning love. It's easy. It's easy. The reason why we love beautiful people makes us feel good about ourselves. I'm connected with someone else who's beautiful. You've got to understand the gospel. You've got to understand how Jesus uses this word. Jesus loves people who try to live their lives independent of God and make a mess of their lives. It doesn't take too much time to see how easy it is to screw your life up when you live your life independent of God. That's who we are. We are people who function best, we think, with me at the center. The world evolves around me. And Jesus says, those people, I give my son to you. I give my son to you to die on the cross. For God so loved the world. Not the beautiful Malibu healthy people. Well, I guess he does that too. <laughs> but hurting people, people beyond the facade of outward beauty. People who don't want to play the game anymore, who are honest <coughs> about the hurts they have, the pains they have, the mistakes they've made of trying to live their lives independent of God. The story of Nicodemus is a story about internal heart transformation, not external reformation, not minor adjustments. I'm sorry if that phrase, born again, has been captured by nutty people, or by politics, or by sports, but please disregard that. 
Eternity is at stake. The kingdom of God is at stake. And if Nicodemus, the most respected, moral, good guy, needs to be born again, we all need to be born again. Jesus is inviting you. <coughs> Jesus is, is inviting all of us, all of us independent people who want to do things our way. Jesus is inviting you to a new way to live where a radical transformation can happen in your heart and you can live a new way. Paul says in the New Testament that all things are made new when you become a Christian. You have a new identity. You are changed from the inside out. Not perfect, still flawed, as John Newton said, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. I know, I know I've got flaws. I know there are areas of my life where I, I deeply need Jesus. But the process starts with being born again. During worship, I just want to invite you to pray, to think about your life. Don't allow this moment to pass. I don't know how many hours there are in a week. There are a lot. We're only here for an hour and a half. An hour and a half of your week. Don't pass by. Don't rush out of here. Enjoy the moment of worship and allow God's Spirit to work in your life. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be a church community where we will come and see you, where we will come and see Jesus, that we will push aside all of the things that can distract us. I pray ultimately that we would come and see you, your son Jesus, who wants to transform our hearts from the inside out. I pray that we would listen carefully as you say, truly, truly, I say to you, you must be born again. You must receive the new life. It is available to all. And so we pray, Jesus, that your Holy Spirit would move us closer to loving you, to following you in every area of our life as we seek to live out what it means to be a person who's been transformed by your son, Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.